If you have your Bibles, uh, David mentioned it a second ago, but could you turn them to Galatians chapter 6? Galatians chapter 6. As was mentioned, we're coming to the end, the end of Galatians. So generally, the rule of thumb when you come to the end of a speech or the end of a talk, generally that's not the time to like load up with new information. Generally, that's the time where you summarize. And then you speak kind of from the heart. You speak emotionally. And you really try to drive things home with a personal connection and some passion. So I find all of those elements in Galatians 6. So some of you are new to our study today. And today may be your first time at Ogletown. But as we kind of come to the end of Galatians 6, there's not a lot of new information that Paul's introducing. But he is wanting to make sure he has our attention. And he does so even in verse 11. So again, if you have your Bibles, look at Galatians 6, 11, because it just will set the tone for a very urgent thing that Paul is getting across here. He says in verse 11, I want you to notice or see or take a look. Take a look at what with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So again, I would imagine like we go back 2000 years, he doesn't have control B or control U or, con or command you know, I where he can highlight or enlarge a font. So he's saying, I'm writing this so big, I don't want you to miss it. I want to make sure you see it. Before we read exactly what is he so so bent on us not missing, I think it'd be probably helpful to, for us to remind ourselves of one of the main themes of this book. Obviously, we don't have time to dig into every main theme, every focal point that he has. But I do think trying to get an idea of what is he pressing? What are some of the main themes? And from week one of this study, we, we recognized Galatians centers on question, these two questions, all right? What do you look to for your identity. And then Galatians also centers on what do you look to for your righteousness? Identity and righteousness. What are we looking for? Who do we look to for our identity? And who do we look to for our righteousness? Your identity. By that, I mean like who you are, how you see yourself, the story you tell yourself, what is your identity? Where do you look to draw upon that to say, this is who I am? And when it comes to your righteousness, do you measure up? Are you okay? Do others recognize that about you? What makes you righteous? Galatians is all about that. And those seem to be the questions that, let's just be honest, humans always tend to be trying to find the answers to. Other ways of asking that same question is what gives you confidence? Like what, what gives you value for your life? What makes you valuable? What do you take pride in? If you were to honestly fill in the blanks and say, it will mean more to me if I, or I will feel like my life is worth living if or the thing I treasure, the thing, please don't ever take this from me, is, I mean, these are serious questions to answer. People find their identity and they find their righteousness. All of that's connected. And they find their identity and righteousness and value in all sorts of things, don't, 
don't we? I mean, it ranges from finding our identity in what we drive, what we wear, where we live, finding our identity in the degrees we can put on a resume or our accomplishments or we derive some amount of identity from a power that we have or a position that everybody recognizes or we derive that sort of identity and righteousness from an occupation or where we're from or a family or a certain friend group that says, you know what, I am okay. I do measure up. And nobody can say otherwise. Or maybe it's a religion or an organization that we're a part of, or maybe it's the intelligence that God has given us or the fortune that we've made, or, or maybe it's some sort of quality that we think that quality says exactly who I am. That personality trait says who I am. Or maybe we look back at our story and we see all these hardships and all these obstacles and we say, you know who I am? I am an overcomer of all these things. That is who I am. That is how I prove I'm okay. That is how I prove I measure up. We seek these things. We, these things come out of us. Like we don't even plan for it and it comes out. There's a, a little kid version of that. I'm not saying it would take place in my home. I'm just hypothetically throwing it out there where a kid says, you know, mom, dad, I, I clean my room. And another kid right on the heels of that, this, the sibling says, well, I cleaned my room two weeks ago too. Like I, I did something or I look what I made. Well, I make stuff too. Or look what I achieved. Well, I, I achieved stuff too. And it's like, it's a reflex, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, wait a minute. I, I have some value. I have some worth too. Oh, there's the kitty version. But then there's the not-so-pretty grown-up version of that. You know, uncomfortably, the Lord brought to my mind, like, thank you, Lord, but not really sometimes. I, I was thinking about a conversation I was a part of this week in which I told a story. Kind of at the end of the story, basically, the punchline was, I kind of look like the hero and other people look like the chumps. And frankly, that story just rolled out with me. I wasn't intending to go, let me tell you something about my identity. Let me tell you something about how I'm righteous, but this other chump wasn't. It just flowed out. It flows out all the time. You talk to someone and you begin to notice like, you kind of like you've mentioned that five times in this conversation of about three minutes. That seems, you just kind of want to say, that's really important to you, isn't it? Like, it's important to you that we all know that, apparently. Okay, I just wanted to recognize that, and we can move on with the conversation. Because you clearly wanted me to know this about you. We do this all the time, and in those moments, what are we doing? Oh, I mean, the subtext of that is, see, I'm okay. I measure up. This is who I am. We come back to Galatia. So we realize this is a human problem, not just theirs, not just ours, but this is a human, human thing. The group of Galatian believers, if we can kind of get a running start into these last verses that Paul's going to write to these churches. So Paul had gone to this region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, the southern part of Turkey, and they had come to know Jesus. The people who made up this church had believed in the good news that grace and life are found in Jesus. 
And that had changed their identity. They, they recognized they were, their whole lives now were wrapped up in Jesus. That's why Paul could regularly say things like, in Christ, in the Messiah, in Jesus. Because that's, that's who they were. That's identity shaping. And not only that, but it had shaped their righteousness. Would they be okay? Would they measure up? Well, all of that was wrapped up in Jesus and he lived a perfect life and gave us righteousness. So even the scripture talks about like we are clothed in righteousness, almost like a, an outer garment, like a, a, a coat that we would put on. We have a coat of righteousness, not our own, but his. And the Galatians had believed all of that. Amazing good news. But the problem they had then is the problem that we deal with now. And that is sometimes it's just really hard to believe good news. We begin to think this has to be too good to be true. Like, literally, I just rely on Jesus? Like, of course, I get that I should rely on him, but, but is there something I add? And the message of these, like, first followers of Jesus, even in Galatia, was, no, 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 you throw yourself completely on his mercy. You depend on his grace, nothing you bring to the table, and yet our hearts go, it cannot be that easy. It cannot be that simple. There's surely more I need to do. There's surely something I contribute. Grace gets you, let's not, let's not make any mistake. Grace gets you really, really far, but surely there's something I need to like do my part. And the question we come back to is, okay, what do we look to for our identity and for our righteousness? So what we know is weeks or months, I don't know, it may have been even a year or so, but some time after Paul left, a group of people who claimed to follow Jesus came into this church of Galatia, these churches, and they began to, to spread their own version of good news, saying, yes, Jesus, and yes, you also need to remember the law, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses in the first several books of the Bible. You need both. You need Jesus, yes. Death, resurrection, yes. And there are these rituals and there are these observances and there are these feasts and sacrifices and offerings. Particularly, it seemed like a lot centered around circumcision or a religious ritual that says, I'm a part of God's people and this is the way I define and identify as his. Basically, yes, Jesus, and your righteousness also needs to include religious rituals, the Galatians began to shift, made decisions in the direction of what I could call Jesus plus. Yes, Jesus plus. They wouldn't have thought they were abandoning Jesus. And generally, when I try to find my righteousness in other things, my first thought isn't like, well, well man, I'm leaving Jesus. Never is it. It's like, well, yes, Jesus, he's, you know, most important part of my life. But then there's these other things that really are pretty meaningful and significant. And if I don't watch my heart, I've changed. Like you can't add anything to Jesus and have that relationship be right. Be almost like me standing up here saying, I'm faithful to my marriage and I have someone on the side. It doesn't work like that. You can't say that. You can't say you're faithful. All the while, like that's mutually exclusive. And you can't say I am relying on on Jesus, and then plus that, and everything be okay. I mean, Paul, what, what Paul does in the next few verses, in verses 12 and 13, is begin to work out 
the contrast between relying on Jesus only and relying on other things. The contrast between the message he had brought and the message that had been brought since he had come. Look at verse 12. He begins to point out the, uh, the influencers of that day, the, the, the people who had come in after him. He says, it is those who, this is what they're all about. They just want to make a good showing in the flesh. They just want to look good on the outside. This is the contrast here. You think they're all about Jesus. What they're really about is we're just looking good on the outside. They're the ones who would force you to be circumcised only in order that they also, now he, now he layers another charge, that they wouldn't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So not only do they want to make a good showing in the flesh, but they want to avoid persecution. If there's a shortcut, if there's an easier way, like I'll take Jesus, but I don't want any of the negative baggage attached. So I'll kind of make this and design it the way I want to. And then he says in verse 13, for even those who are circumcised, they don't even keep the law. They're telling you that you need to keep the law, but even they aren't doing it. Why would they do that? So that they may boast in your flesh. So they could look around and go like we have influence over them too. I wonder if you see the contrast as clear as it is when, when our righteousness, what, what it's going to appeal to, what it appealed to in Galatia, what it appeals to today, our righteousness says, I can feel pretty good about myself. My righteousness says, I, I, can, I can kind of avoid the, the way of pain or hardship and still be on team Jesus. I just don't have to like, I'm going to define this the way I want to define it that will I mean, I don't really have to take much of a stand or like identify with him wholly. I'll just like identify the parts that I want to. And then I'll feel validated in my decision. It exposes things for what they are. Anything then other than Jesus only, frankly, may make us look good on the outside. But you've got to know we need more help than just cleaning up a few things on the outside. We need God to work so deeply inside us that it makes us something different than an outward projection of like, I, I look good in front of everybody else. We need something deeper and more lasting than that. Surely we should know that just because something puts us in an uncomfortable spot, just because we feel like this is going to expose me as a follower of Jesus and that I believe God's word, and that's going to make me uncomfortable. And if it's uncomfortable, I, I would rather not deal with that. Surely we know some of the things that define us the most are actually the struggles, not just the easy path. I think this is calling on us to be suspicious, to be on the lookout for things that begin to look like I, I like to be identified as that. I think this is the most important thing about me. Be careful about what seems to be the driving thing for your identity, the driving, the driving source of your righteousness. What Paul says is there's an alternative between what the Galatians were tempted to buy into and where they were meant to place their whole hope. What's the alternative? Actually, he's been pressing this the entire 
the entire book of Galatians. But in this passage, let me just say, he is putting us on notice. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, then relying and trusting on Jesus means our identity and righteousness have been completely reshaped by the cross. Look at the, pat, look at the verse, and we're not even going to be able to really scratch the surface on this verse. I hope it'd be one you might memorize, Galatians 6.14. Where Paul says, but far be it from me, like may it never be said, that I boast. Except, so I've got one thing I can boast about as a follower of Jesus. And that is I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You come into a church setting like this. And you're going to hear the cross, and you're going to hear it again and again. And I'm, I'm fearful you could be desensitized to all that Paul means by saying, I'm not going to boast or count my treasure or my confidence or derive value from anything else other than the cross. What does he mean by the cross? Let's just make sure we have the full picture of what he's saying by the cross. He is talking about the one and only Son of God, Jesus. God sent Jesus as the Messiah on a rescue mission into this world for people. And although he is God, always has been, always will be, and although he had all dominion and authority and was creator and ruler of everything, the story that's the good news of the universe is that in spite of all that, he lived as a human. He took on flesh and he lived and he loved perfectly. And the story of scripture says in, in the midst of living and loving perfectly, he was sent to the cross and there were people, there was a whole mob of people who thought they were doing everybody a favor by if we can just get him on a cross and end his life, it'll be better for us all. They thought everybody would be done a favor by executing him. As he goes to the cross, it's an instrument of torture and execution. He died, Scripture says, he died to make an offering once for all for our sins, to bring us to God. So when Paul says, I'm not going to brag about anything else. I'm not going to find my identity in anything else. Where else would I find my righteousness in competition with the cross? He is saying only in the cross of Jesus is God's wrath against sin satisfied. Only in the cross of Jesus is reconciliation with a holy, perfect God provided. Only in the cross of Jesus is new life, eternal life given. Only in the cross of Jesus is atonement covering for all my sin even possible. Only in the cross of Jesus is forgiveness granted. Only in the cross. Jesus on the cross saying, 
Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I'm committing my spirit. All of that, Paul says, that is where I will boast, which actually maybe, maybe we are are so far away from it and we wear crosses. And I, and I love that. I love seeing a cross because I, I, I do appreciate the identification of like, I am, I am with Jesus and I am a person of the cross. I appreciate that. But maybe, maybe it doesn't strike us as ironic as it should when Paul even says, I'm boasting in the cross. And we think, well, yeah, I, I, I'm all about Jesus too. But, but if we just take one step back, Paul is saying that he would boast in something that it was a, was a shameful, humiliating object. When someone went, was up on a cross, what everybody thought is they're getting what they deserve and everybody associated with them ought to be ashamed of themselves. They're worthy of death. They're worthy of shame. They're an outcast. We don't need people like that around us anymore. That is what the cross is saying. That is what the message of the cross. And Paul says, as humiliating and shameful as the world may find that, decades later, he's saying that is my identity. That is what says I am okay, I am righteous because of what God was doing in Christ there. You see, it's right this morning that the high point of the story we celebrated was the cross and resurrection of Jesus. As much as we sang, we got to a point even in, as we were singing King of Kings and like the, the music was building intentionally so to take us to the moment when he was crucified and the moment when he rose again, validating everything that had been done on the cross, to which we say, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit for what was done there. And we sing it and we sing it again and again and again. Because what could motivate a story like that? What could motivate someone going to the cross? Was it just, was it just, you know, he saw we were actually pretty good people trying to do our best. It was not that. It was only motivated by love. That's why we would sing a song like, when I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and I wonder how could he love me? A sinner condemned unclean. When I survey the wondrous cross, we'll sing in a moment. It's like that, that just changes things. That's why it's a huge priority to me that you know that, that you experience that, that you own that for yourself. That the love of God means that you aren't, you aren't having to stay in alienation from God, but you've actually been brought into blessing. It meant that the Father in His love sent the Son, and the Father in His love sent the Spirit. And this isn't about a transaction, it's about a relationship. It meant there are good things that God will produce in your life. It changes our relationship to everything, which is why Paul could say in Galatians 6.14, when you look at the cross, actually at the cross, I died to the world and the world died to me. I mean, our, our phraseology would be, it's dead to me. Like anything that this world is trying to achieve, like I have a different, I have an entirely different value set. I have an entirely different treasure. The world will look at the cross and go, strange story, not interested. And so, yeah, I might, I might look the same as, as my neighbors. I, I might Dry, I might drop my kids off to school. I might be interested in things. But then there's, there's something different about the Christian where you look at the cross and you go, that changed everything. 
And the ripple effects are, are meant to be felt in the remaining verses of Galatians. Because in verse 15, what Paul is saying is like, listen to this dividing line. Significant dividing lines in history. There are a lot of them. None like this. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. It is so not about that anymore because there is a new creation. Like there is a new era that started and everything now on this side of the cross and resurrection. Everything on that side is groundbreaking and different, a new creation, a new era where abundant eternal life will be due solely to Jesus. You name whatever you want. I can list all the things that are important to me, and there are a lot of them. And nothing will have the dividing line that says, new creation, you want your life totally wrapped up in this. I'm just reminded like, this will never be taken away. This can never be lost. Not this new creation that God is forming. That change that is meant, the change that that's meant to make is not small. When I'm fearful, I have a cross speaking some things over my life. When I'm hurt, when I'm anxious, when I'm eager, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, I have the cross saying, this is the fundamental identity marker for you. This is your righteousness. Paul even pronounces a blessing in verse 16. For all who walk by this rule, by this standard, he pronounces a blessing of peace and mercy. And actually, there, there's, a, there's, this is such groundbreaking. Be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy on all those who are orienting their lives around this standard, this new creation. You read that terminology like new creation in Israel of God. And I was in page after page after page after page of commentaries and Bible scholars trying to figure out exactly what does it mean to be a part of new creation, a part of the Israel of God. If I pull back a little bit into Galatians, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm reminded. When I read Israel of God, I'm reminded of the family of Abraham. And Abraham's this major character in Galatians. And I'm reminded that people who have placed their faith in Jesus, people from all nations, all ethnicities, all language, language groups, all regions, people who have placed their faith in Jesus have been brought into Abraham's family of blessing. No longer outsiders. And we experience blessing, not a curse for our sin, whatever the particulars are in the Israel of God the people who have placed their faith in Jesus are no longer outsiders. They've been brought in. You hear Paul passionate like, who would ever want to take away from the cross? Who would ever want to Jesus plus that? Like, who would want to do that? Which is why I think in verse 17, you hear him say, Basically, I don't have anything more to prove. I don't have anything more to say. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body, I've, I've been persecuted for these things. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And then I love how Galatians closes. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up now because we're going to close in just a minute singing. But I want you to see Galatians 6.18. I want you to read it. And I want you to hear a pronouncement of God's grace. 
Galatians 6.18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, amen. From, from the message paraphrase, I found it helpful. The message says this, May what our master Jesus Christ gives freely be deeply and personally yours. I, I appreciate that. What our master Jesus Christ gives freely. May that be deeply and personally yours. So in a moment, we're going to survey the wondrous cross. We're going to sing that. But before we do that, can I close just in the spirit of Galatians 6.18? Can I make some pronouncements of blessing? To those who are drifting and weary, may the leading that the Holy Spirit gives freely be deeply and personally yours. To those who are sorting through how you're going to live godly in an evil world, may the wisdom that Jesus freely gives be yours. To those who are ashamed of your past and feel guilt even in this moment, may the forgiveness and new life that Jesus gives freely be deeply and personally yours. To those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, may the endurance and hope of eternal life that Jesus freely gives be yours. To those who are enslaved by sin and want desperately to be free, may the freedom that Jesus gives be deeply yours. To those who are lonely and in despair, May, may the peace that Jesus gives and the assurance of his presence freely be personally yours. To those who feel like a hypocrite, may the truth and love that our master Jesus gives freely be yours. To those who are overcome by doubt and cynicism, may the renewal and strength of Jesus be yours. To those who feel overburdened by religious demands, may the comfort of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives freely be deeply yours. To those who are on the treadmill, trying to prove yourself, trying to get everything right, may the rest that Jesus gives freely be yours. And to those who see your need for the Holy Spirit to help you walk, to lead you, to produce fruit in your life and to crucify your flesh. May what Jesus gives freely be yours. May all that our master Jesus the Messiah gives freely, may it be deeply and personally yours, my brothers and sisters.